Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. I'm your host, Toby Leary, co-owner of Cape Gunworks, and I am glad you're here with us today. We have a very important and exciting show scheduled for you, so we look forward to getting right into the goodies of it and the nitty-gritty and the details. Hopefully, you're having a wonderful week. First things first, though, um, I was reminded I never know what day it is, the actual date, because uh, just it's not something I pay attention to unless I need to be somewhere at a certain time. I generally don't know what date it is, right? So G-Webs did a post today on uh, his social media, and he puts out this gun calendar that is really good. If you don't have one, you should get one from gun websites, but, um, and it has significant days in history. And today, September 13th, 2023 is the 19th anniversary of the day that will live in infamy for those of us in Massachusetts who still live under a federal assault weapons ban. Uh, so September 13th, 1994 was uh, I had been a gun owner for all of one year and I was living my best life until government gangsters decided to restrict my right to keep and bear arms by making guns that are in common and ordinary use a thing of the past. And so uh, that that day is the day that the law went into effect. September 13th, 1994, which was the federal assault weapons ban. The rest of the country lived with it for one year. Massachusetts made it permanent in 1998. So they knew the writing on the wall was, well, statistically, this isn't doing a dang thing to reduce crime, to make our streets safer. To um, So it wasn't an effective um, law that actually significantly reduced crime in any way, shape, or form, or any um, measurable way. And so it was going to be sunsetted on September 13, 2024, um, excuse me, 2004, if they couldn't point to the effectiveness of it, as all laws should. If a lot of laws have a sunset provision, they track it to see if it's actually made any difference or had any significance. And in this case, it didn't. The government's Department of Justice did their own study and said, yeah, all this has done is tick off law-abiding peaceful citizens, make it harder for them to exercise their right to keep and bear arms, and has done nothing to reduce violent criminal uh, acquiring said firearms. So, I just thought we should mention it real quick and and say, Happy September 13th to you. Hopefully, eventually, the Supreme Court will get into looking at and addressing assault weapons bans uh, because the people that rule on these things don't take prior Supreme Court rulings into effect or into consideration. So you have the Heller ruling um, in D.C., and that found that you cannot ban entire categories of firearms. So now they've created this class of firearms, basically a semi-automatic weapon, 
um, with a pistol grip and a detachable magazine and said, um, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't own and possess these because they're assault weapons. They assault people. They go out of your safe at night and they commit mass killings on the streets and then come back in the safe. Maybe they have the code from Liberty. Maybe Liberty safe is in on this gig. And when the assault weapon calls Liberty at night and says, hey, open up the safe. I want to go out and commit mayhem on the streets and assault people. Um, that's what they do. Uh, so Liberty remotely triggers it and opens the safe and the gun walks down the streets uh, of whatever city is as high violent rate, you know, violent crime rates. And they just indiscriminately shoot people and then they're home before you notice. Liberty lets them back in. And then, you know, obviously I'm being facetious. I'm conflating a couple of different stories into one. But the bottom line is they've created this class of weapon that has categorically been banned. And Heller has said that you can't do that. Guns that are in common and ordinary use. Jerry Nadler on the house of the uh, the house floor has admitted that ARs are in common and ordinary use. And that's just the AR-15. The gun outright banned six different quote unquote assault weapons. It was the AR-15, the AK-47, the, the FNFAL, the FNFSC, um, the Uzi, the Galil, um, and the Tech 9 And so those were enumerated in that ban. And as a result, uh, places like Massachusetts are still living under this horrible precedent um, of the 2000 on the 1994 assault weapons ban and today's that anniversary so a day that'll live in infamy uh that's one reason why when hd 4420 came up and a lot of people were like well we're just gonna have to challenge it in court no we've been living with the federal assault weapons ban since 1994 that's Third, 29 years, right? Is that right? 29 years. I said it was the 23rd anniversary, but it's not. It's the 29th anniversary of the assault weapons ban. So we've been living under this for almost three decades. And all it did was inflate the price of firearms, tick off law-abiding reasonable citizens, and cause us to go out and buy a whole lot more firearms, a whole lot more guns. Um, so anyway, this day in history, there you go. Thank you, G-Webs, for that, by the way. Um, so lots going on. Guys, it is, guys and girls, it is unbelievably fast and furious out there, no pun intended. Um, it, there is so much going on in the world of guns right now that it's it's maddening. The... The biggest news is obviously New, New Mexico uh, governor who signed a bill or signed an executive order declaring a public health emergency. So because three children were killed by senseless acts of violence or inadvertently, I don't know what the whole story is on the three people that she was giving her reasoning for this, 
was, but um, because three people died, she has suspended the right to keep and bear arms for the entire population of the state of uh, New Mexico that reside in uh, Bernalillo and Albuquerque. Um, so it's it's unbelievable um, on that front that she feels that she has a right to ban an entire group of people's right to keep and bear arms all in the with the intent of saving lives. Now, Mark Smith from Four Boxes Diner pointed out very eloquently, as he always does on his show, um, how when other elected officials recognized a public health threat from violence, they actually went the other direction than the governor of New Mexico. For instance, there was a time in Massachusetts that if you got caught walking to church on Sunday without your firearm, you could be fined because there was a serious threat of violence towards people heading to church from certain uh, hostile Indian tribes. So they said, listen, this isn't something to mess around with. Arm yourself and on your way to church so that you don't become a victim. Back then they didn't have 911 and the cavalry ready to ride over the hill and save you. Oh, wait a minute. They still don't. They have 911, but the cavalry isn't going to ride over the hill and save you. You are your own first responder. So the logic of this governor goes flies in the face of tradition, history, and text of the Second Amendment. Not only is it obvious to everyone who's a Second Amendment advocate that this is unconstitutional, it's also obvious to gun control advocates. And they're upset, and they're calling out this uh, New Mexico governor because they know this is going to hurt their movement. Um, yesterday, I believe it was, the New Mexico attorney general came out and said he will not defend the governor's order suspending uh, New Mexico, New Mexicans' uh, gun rights. There's an article on uh, Amoland News by John Crump, and it says New Mexico Attorney General Raul Torres sent a letter to Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham informing her that this his office would not be defending the governor's order suspending open and concealed carrying of firearms in Albuquerque and the surrounding areas. The AG said the order does not pass constitutional muster and does nothing for public safety. Though I recognize my statutory obligation as New Mexico's chief legal officer to defend state officials when they are sued in their official capacity, my duty to uphold and defend the constitutional rights of every citizen takes precedence, Torres letter stated. Simply put, I do not believe that the emergency order will have any meaningful impact on public safety. But more importantly, I do not believe it passes constitutional muster. 
At least six lawsuits were filed against the New Mexico governor over her order, including cases from every major Second Amendment organization or their proxies. The first challenge hit Saturday before the ink was dry. Gun Owners of America was the first organization to get a hearing for temporary restraining order. That hearing was scheduled for 11 a.m. today before federal district judge um, David H. Urias vacated the hearing date. Although Judge Urias didn't give a reason for the cancellation, many believe that the judge is planning on combining all the cases to be heard at once. Almost all legal scholars believe that the governor's order is blatantly unconstitutional, leading many on the anti-gun side of the debate to abandon the governor. Albuquerque Police Chief Harold Medina stated that his department will not enforce the rule against citizens carrying firearms. The Sheriff of Bernalillo County, John Allen, said he cannot enforce the order and fulfills his oath to the United States and Mexico constitutions. New Mexico also eliminated qualified immunity. Qualified immunity prevents public servants from being sued for actions taken in their official duties. Since these protections do not exist in New Mexico, the officials enforcing the rule can be held personally liable if the order is found to be unconstitutional. Since nearly all legal minds believe that the order violates the Bruin decision, which makes local law enforcement very apprehensive about enforcing the order. It is not just about law enforcement and the AG's office that have abandoned Governor Lujan Grisham's plan. Democratic New Mexico state representatives and senators have also been critical of the governor's move. Senator Joe Cervantes called on the governor to rescind the public health order. His statement reads, having passed key gun safety laws working within her, her administration, I call on the governor to rescind her orders, outlawing arms. An unconstitutional approach uh, undermines the important collaboration gun issues we deserve and the important role of a governor to lead genuine reforms. That's what I've been saying all along is the anti-gunners are ticked off because, hey, Gov, you didn't, in, you didn't read us in on this stupid idea. And now you're hurting our cause of legitimate gun reform, quote unquote, or legitimate gun control schemes that will deprive you of your right to keep and bear arms in a more thoughtful and uh, possibly even constitutional way. They're trying to angle toward that. I don't believe that exists, but um, that's what they're angling for. While Democrats in the New Mexico legislature turn on the governor, Republican Rep. Stefani Lord and John Block are moving to impeach Lujan uh, Grisham for violating her oath to the Constitution. The movement is gaining steam. I was completely shocked. I mean, there is no way to address uh, a crime issue, Lord said. She looked, took an oath to uphold the Constitution. She needs to understand that those rights are absolute. And that's why we are impeaching her, because she has committed a crime in what she is doing. Criticism extends just past New Mexico. Even anti-gun zealots like David Hogg and Ted Lieu think governor has gone too far. Both point out that governor cannot suspend constitutionally protected rights. Even CNN, a long ally of the governor, questioned her authority to overrule the Constitution. The writing is on the wall with the latest action. 
this George Soros-funded A.G. Torres, it is only a matter of time before the governor's health order is cast upon the heap of government overreach and ruled unconstitutional. The governor's office did not respond to Amoland's request or comment. Um, so check that out on, on uh, Amoland.com and check out John Crump's um, John Crump's uh, article there. It's it's very interesting. So um, we'll see where this heads. There's a hearing today for a temporary restraining order. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this struck down onto the ash heap of other bad ideas. Um, so yeah. All right. Don't go away. We will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Lear. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, and comment on all of our videos over at capegunworks.com or wherever you find social media. Follow us. It's either Cape Gunworks, at Cape Gunworks, or at Rapid Fire Radio. Um, and I would greatly appreciate you sharing and subscribing and uh, commenting. That way we can get a much greater reach because right now uh, we are shadow banned in just about every major big tech platform. So um, yeah, that's uh, that's the way it goes. One of the other things I want to point out about this Mexico attorney general uh, situation is the fact that you can't use a public health crisis to suspend the constitution. This was ruled um, on in, in Massachusetts, where, where I live, on uh, over the COVID crisis. So the COVID crisis or pandemic or whatever you want to call it um, was a chance for tyrants to shut down gun stores. So they did. They said, you know what? Uh, and Maura Healy was right at the top of the, the food chain with that. Uh, and she said, Guns are not an essential business. Gun stores are not an essential business. However, liquor stores, abortion clinics, and dispensaries were. Hmm. Okay. Well, I digress. Gun stores were not, according to now Governor Maura Healy. So they shut down, which was interesting. They said they were going to follow the federal guidelines. Federal guidelines absolutely acknowledged that gun stores were an essential business. It was up for a, a matter of four hours on the state website that showed the federal guidelines that gun stores were in fact essential businesses. Then they quickly edited that after Maura Healy tweeted out that they are not. And so I ignored it and said, okay, um, Either way, I'm an essential business because we supply the public safety supply chain. In other words, we 
um, supply police departments. We supply private security firms that are in charge of uh, homeland security. We also supply um, a training range for police departments to continue to qualify and, and meet their obligations to the state, et cetera, et cetera. So I wasn't too worried about the fact that they closed a gun store, quote unquote, because we had uh, we were part of the supply chain for the public safety sector. And that was pretty obviously written into the um, essential businesses. Well, a day later, I get visited by my local police department and they said, nope, you must shut. Here's the, here it is from the, uh, the governor's office and attorney general's office. You have to shut down. I said, no, I, I, I disagree based on us being, a, you know, so it went back up to the chief and then it came back. Well, yeah, you can still sell to police and law enforcement agencies, but you can't sell to anyone else. But that's not what this edict said. This edict said, if you are part of the supply chain, you can remain open. I said, we are a manufacturer, we are a training facility, and we are a destination. And we supply the supply chain. Uh, we are part of the, a link to the supply chain. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, you got to shut down. And uh, that's the way it is. Give it. They gave us a written piece of paper saying that they have to shut us, that we have to shut down. Well, then we all got together and sued. The governor sued. The attorney general sued. The local chiefs of police. Um, and we had plaintiff uh, as part of the plaintiff package was the gun store and the people who wanted to go to the gun store and buy a gun so fast forward governor i'm sorry judge whitlock um interviewed our lawyers for about 10 minutes and then cross basically dressed down the attorney general's lawyers for two hours and uh basically said so you think a liquor store is an essential business but you don't think a gun store is, which is an enumerated right under the Constitution. So go ahead and do tell how you've come to this conclusion. So at the end of the day, he allowed us to reopen. And they said that basically was proof that you cannot shut down gun stores. You can't prohibit a right during a public health emergency. Not to mention the premise is so flawed because three children were murdered or killed accidentally by carelessness or willful wanton intent. You're going to prohibit the rest of your citizens from carrying a gun in public in these two cities. That doesn't make any sense. So under that logic, every time somebody gets in a car accident and somebody dies, you're going to suspend people's right to drive for 30 days. That's exactly the logic that you used. Um, that's insanity. And no one would stand for that. But that's exactly what she did. And the fact that she is hanging on by a thread, everybody is telling her that was dumb. 
and she's doubling down, tripling on down, going on CNN. She's, you know, doing news conferences. Her attorney general is saying, uh, you got some issues here, uh, gov. And you're, you're, uh, you're, you might be in some trouble. And she's also haranguing law enforcement who has pushed back and said that they will not enforce it. She's saying, I don't need a lesson on the Constitution from the sheriff. I need him to just do what he's supposed to do and enforce this order. And I think they have a big problem if they enforce this order because um, because of that whole qualified immunity thing. He's obviously not going to get sued. Maybe she will. But the law enforcement community could get sued and could be found personably, personal, personally liable. So that's... That's why the law enforcement community is like, uh, no, everybody else out there is saying this is, this is ridiculous. You're the only one saying that you have the right to do this. So anyway, uh, that's, that's interesting. And David Hogg says, I support gun safety, but there's no such thing as state public health emergency exception to the U S constitution. Ironically, when you've lost David Hogg, you might have uh, you might have uh, lost the argument altogether because this is the kid that wants to see guns eradicated, basically. Um, so, yeah, think about that. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, it's just insane. But um, yeah, so they have that problem, and Ted Lou. I support gun safety laws. However, this order from the governor of New Mexico violates the U.S. Constitution. No state in the union can suspend the federal constitution. There is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception of the U.S. Constitution. Um, I think what's going on here is states throughout the country are starting to see how far they can push before getting smacked down. Uh, I'm sure she's not the only one behind this. I bet you, you know, whether it's Brady or Everytown or Moms Demand Action or, uh, you know, Bloomberg, one of the groups put this idea in her head. Uh, there's plenty of pictures of her uh, with Moms Demand Action in the background. Same thing happened here in Massachusetts with uh, HD4420. You know, you got... Gabby Giffords in Michael S. Day's office. You got uh, Moms Demand Action in full force uh, wearing their red shirts at, at the listening tour stops. Um, they're, they're being funded by Soros-backed uh, fund, and um, they're trying to see how far they can go because they know their time is limited thanks to the Bruin mandate. Um, it's just unbelievable, and um, we'll see what happens, but... Um, there's a guy who's emerged as a gun control activist and a Montana gubernatorial candidate who I guess used to be a gun salesman. I don't know anything about him, but his name is Ryan Buse or Busey. Um, and he expressed outrage, uh, 
on this subject, and he said suspending concealed carry permits is a bad idea, will not solve anything, may make things worse, is the sort of knee-jerk that only fosters distrust. The best policy involves bringing responsible gun owners to the table to work towards real solutions. This ain't one of them. So it's so ironic that I'm agreeing with all these anti-gunners all of a sudden, <laughs> or they're agreeing with me because my policy has not changed. You would think the anti-gunners would be heralding the bravery of Governor Grisham. They would be applauding her courage, and she's just trying to do the right thing. Um, but no, they're not. They're all like, uh, this is nuts. This is too far. This is crazy. Um, I will say Arizona House Democrats tweeted, at tip to New Mexico. So they're like, cool, some idiot did this, and we're going to wait and watch. And that's exactly what's going on. The world is watching. The, the United States is watching to see what happens. Is she going to be impeached? Is she going to be arrested, which she should be, if you ask me, for malfeasance? This is a perfect example of malfeasance. Is she going to lose her seat? Is she going to uh, lose her position? Is she going to be recalled at the very least? Or is she going to be smacked down by the court system that will probably declare this unconstitutional? Already, she doesn't have any enforcement of it. Maybe the state police, but when the attorney general says, I'm not going to stand behind, I'm not going to write an amicus brief, I'm not going to come out in support of this, I'm actually going to publicly distance myself, then that's crazy. So Governor Grisham tweeted out, today I signed an executive order declaring gun violence a public health emergency. Dun, da, da, da. And to my fellow citizens, get loud, step up, demand change from your neighbors, from your friends, from your communities, from your elected leaders. Enough is enough. More coming from me tomorrow. Why? So she thinks that demand change from your neighbors. What does that mean? That must mean she's expecting you to lay down your arms. Crazy. And Poe Murray gave her the hand clap. Good job. Um, Rob Romano, Miranda Viscoli, co-president of New Mexicans to Prevent Gun Violence, applauded the governor's order as a courageous and necessary step to curbing gun violence, even if its legal fate is uncertain. There's the throw it against the wall and hope it sticks. Um, so that's exactly what's going on. Let's try anything and everything. And it's courageous because you might lose your job in the process. You might even go to jail for a little while for, you know, violating people's constitutional rights. You might be impeached. And the people that you're going to ask to carry out this unconstitutional order might be sued and held personally liable. It's utter insanity. When and not if, I'm reading now for, on Bearing Arms. Uh, there's an article on Bearing Arms by uh, 
Ranjit Singh. Um, and he says, when, not if, the time comes and elected officials who claim to support the Second Amendment, looking squarely at J Senator John Corrin, are again under pressure, people like Ted Lieu, Ryan Busey, and David Hogue, I will pretend uh, will pretend to be the reasonable ones who the likes of Corrin can listen to and negotiate with to give away more of our rights. The pretender's rhetoric about caring for the Constitution must be treated with the utmost skepticism. The def deafening silence of gun control groups can't be missed. They haven't protested or said a word against the executive order. There's a simple reason for that. They don't believe that the people have a right to keep and bear arms. Banning guns, banning accessories, putting mere ownership and under a discretionary licensing regime, depriving you of your first, fourth, and fifth amendment rights are all kosher to them if it's done to destroy the second amendment. That's true. If you think about the uh, Saul Alinsky's um, rules for radicals, right? The end justifies the means. That's the way they feel. So, yeah. Go figure. The ends justify the means. So they're willing to put everything and anything on the line in hopes that something will stick. All right. I'm Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire, and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's federal ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal ammunition, a century of innovation. And we're only getting started. Hey everybody, Toby from Rapid Fire, and it is time for the gun of the week. Check it out. We got this one. Woo! The Rossi M92 is this week's gun of the week. It is 38 357 Magnum. It's got the old style lever action with the large loop and the paracord wrap. And if you don't want to break the bank when you buy the lever gun, this is the gun for you has threaded muzzle for those of you who still live in a free state and can enjoy such things as silencers. It's got pick rail mounted to the top of the barrel, so it's real easy to add a red dot. It's got a peep sight on the back, and this gun is just super cool. Nice Kevlar stock, so it's all modernized, and it is just ready to rock and roll, ready to have some fun on the range. One of the funnest days I've ever had on a range is with a lever action gun, and this one's gonna be a nice soft shooting cheap to feed in 38 special or great to hunt with in 357 magnum and there you have it in all its glory it is the rossi r92 357 magnum large loop lever gun so check it out at rapidfireradio.us scroll down to gun of the week click on it and use gow at checkout for a very special savings and we will see you on rapid fire Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. I thank you for joining us each and every week to talk about guns. 
And uh, I appreciate you guys who are following along in the chat. We are gonna answer your questions now and uh, we'll get to the chat anyway. And and uh, yeah, so let's do it. Um, I've been monologuing, but if I, I've also failed to mention, this is a show that you can call into and the number is 508-444-2120. I apologize, um, I didn't throw that out there earlier. Um, if you want to give us a call, by all means, you can. 508-444-2120 is the number. And uh, yeah, give us a jingle. So, um, or just comment in the chat if you're following along. I appreciate everyone who made a, a time change shift today too. Uh, I had to go on a little early because uh, I have a lot going on this evening. I have an event to get to, so uh, we have that. Um, all right. So first off, Anne-Marie says, uh, I've been seeing a lot of the HD 4420 signs here in my area. And yes, we got 200 more at Cape Gunworks on Sunday during the Top Shot Invitational uh, tournament we had, which, by the way, went off flawlessly. It was a lot of fun. We had a bunch of shooters. We had tons of vendors. We had giveaways. We had prizes. We had silent auction items that went for a ridiculous price. Um, I know somebody snagged a SIG X5 Legion with a Vortex Defender site for like 850 bucks, brand new. Um, a Trigicon ACOG went for, I think, 750 It was unbelievable. And that's the $1,400 ACOG. Um, a Trigicon um, RMR went for 300 bucks. So, yeah, it was there was some deals to be had, plus awesome raffle prizes. But anyway, Gun Owners Action League put in a team, goalies. They called themselves goalies. Get it? Goalies. Yeah. And they won. They came in first. John Green, uh, who is the director of training, got the high score, individual high score. Um, so they won with a team score of 351, which is very good. And I'm going to just give a little acknowledgement to my staff because if I let them actually, their scores count, they would have won for the second year in a row. So I didn't let them win. Uh, <laughs> and last year they were pretty upset about it, but I told them up front this year, you work for me, you can't win, okay? I'm sorry. But they had a 357. And uh, so just to show how good and that's out of a best possible score of 400 um so pretty dang good shooting there's a lot of people that shot and had a great time uh but gun owners actually brought us 200 more signs on sunday and we ended up uh giving those away we still have a few so if you want one come on down to cape gunworks and we'll get you all squared away uh and make a donation by the way to gun owners action league because uh they're doing a great job making everyone aware of this idiotic pending legislation, which, by the way, is already having effect in this state. This is a law that was proffered and then withdrawn, and it's still having an effect. That's how powerful the legislature really is. And this is, uh, I just met with a gun manufacturer today that said they have put 
testing of all future firearms on hold for the state of Massachusetts, pending what happens with this legislation. They don't want to dump tens of thousands of dollars into testing guns for sale in Massachusetts, only to have them have that money go up in smoke when they're ruled that they can't sell them. Um, so think about that. That's just one, and, and I'm sure that was just one manufacturer being honest with me. I'm sure that's all of them. <laughs> you know, give me a break. I mean, just think about how ridiculous that is. By the way, um, coming up this Sunday on the 17th is uh, an event at in Newton, Mass., for the Republican Party. Uh, let me just see if I can find it. Uh, it's um, it's um, it's it's a two uh, a assembly on Sunday the seventeenth from two thirty to five thirty at the American Legion on Non Atom Post four forty two ninety five California Street Newton Mass. Um, so we're going to be having a great lineup um, of speakers on this Second Amendment Assembly uh, rally, basically, event um, this Sunday. And uh, the, the lineup of speakers is Al Shirtliff, who's going to talk about the constitutional historicity of, of the Second Amendment, Lynn Roberts, the Second Amendment Sisters of Mass, um, Charlie Cook, Riding Shotgun with Charlie, uh, Toby Leary, some dude from Cape Gunworks and Rapid Fire Radio, um, Carrie Ann Eau Claire from the DC Project and Gun Owners Action League, Jim Wallace, Executive Director of Gun Owners Action League and NRA board member, Mike Harris from Gun Owners Action League. And uh, so that's exciting. Um, we're really hoping that you guys will join us and uh, meet us there. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so I will post this out onto social media for sure. And uh, the, the whole flyer of the event. Um, so uh, ticket prices at 30 bucks, there's going to be hors d'oeuvres and a cash bar. And uh, it's, it's the Norfolk County Republicans um, committee pack is hosting a second amendment assembly. You know what? Along those lines, I long, long for the day when guns are not a partisan issue. But right now, the, the lines are divided so um, hard, if you will. It's, it's tragic. If, um, I'm really sad, but uh, that's the way it is. It's just, um, you know, unfortunate, but... Uh, you know, what are you going to do about it? Uh, until people who believe in the Second Amendment and also um, Democrat policies start to vote for elected officials who believe in the Second Amendment, then, you know, nothing's going to change. In fact, last week's poll, I don't have a new one this week, so we'll let this roll another week, was are you a single issue voter? And if so, what is the issue you vote on? Uh, the Second Amendment led the charge, which is no surprise based on my audience, of 66.7%. Uh, 
nobody voted for the economy, which is interesting because most people do vote the economy. Uh, border security was 25%. That was second and third other uh, 8.3%. So there's, you know, maybe that other category is abortion or taxes or uh, law and order or something like that. But the bottom line is um, if you go over to Rapid Fire Radio uh, Twitter page, Twitter or X, the, the platform formerly known as Twitter, go to X and uh, vote in our poll and let your voice be heard. That'd be awesome. I uh, would greatly appreciate that. So let's get back to your questions as promised. Um, Jay Austin says that's when he started following us was during when we were closed down. And he remembers the videos we did right after opening and uh, the shows when we were closed. That was um interesting time. I remember your comments. I remember actually shipping some product down to you in North Carolina. And I appreciate your following us ever since but that's actually what started the whole rapid fire radio thing was when we were closed and the phone was ringing off the hook and people wanted answers what are we going to do and that's what we we did we just started doing live streaming and i remember going three or four hours without a break i wouldn't even have a bathroom break it was crazy jay austin also says i'll never forgive the tyrants who tried to um keep churches and gun stores closed that's the first and second amendment all because of the health act yeah you're 100 percent right that's actually something i took great i don't know how to say this took great interest in as well and i believe that and i still believe this that the churches actually were the place where that battle should have taken place like ask a gym or a retail store or a gun store to go take their government on head on is crazy because of something called licensing. So if you say, I'm not going to close during a public health emergency when you're being ordered to close, then when you go for renewal, the, the town or the state could say, hey, uh, guess what? We're not going to renew your license. So you're out of business effective immediately. And that to me was um, not worth the risk. So, but the church, they don't need a license to operate. And if they do, they should really challenge that. But because the, the state has no authority over the church, there is that separation of powers, that one way direction of separation of church and state, meaning that the state can establish no organized religion. They can't declare a, you know, official state religion, or they can't um, shunt any other religion that they don't agree with. Um, so because of that one way separation, then that was the battleground. The church actually should have stood up on that, and not closed down. But I think everyone was afraid of catching the, the virus, so they, they didn't. So anyway, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, Mike White is saying that maybe she, meaning the governor of New Mexico, is trying to bankrupt the state. Could be. Uh, she's calling for an insurrection. <laughs> yeah, 
um, you know, whenever I see this type of thing happen, I'm like, you know, why do people think that government has the authority over you, the constituent? Because they don't. The power structure is people give government the power, not the other way around. It isn't that government derives its power from some document that says so. No, they get their power from the people, and they're supposed to represent the people that are sending them there to office. And they often get confused and think like, oh, government is the grantor of rights, which it's not. It says um, so eloquently in the Declaration of Independence, you know the thing, man, uh, that we hold these truths to be self evident. I love those words. What does that mean? That means it's obvious to everyone. Self-evident. It's axiomatic. It's, it's like looking at the sun. Nobody, I, you know, I've heard of some flat earthers out there. I've heard of some people out there that don't believe in long held uh, history or tradition. But there's no one going around denying the sun, right? The sun is self-evident. So just like that, we hold these truths. So that they're not saying we we hold these ideas. We we got some ideas on how things should run, and we think that that's pretty obvious to everyone. No, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are are uh, created are equal, right? That all men are created equal and are granted with certain unalienable rights by their creator. What are those unalienable rights endowed on them by their creator? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How do you have liberty which is freedom and the pursuit of happiness if you don't have life. You don't, right? Because if you can't defend uh, life, then you can't pursue happiness. You can't have freedom because your life is could easily be taken from you. And if you don't have the right to defend that, then... It, 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 it's a fleeting hope and a fleeting thought. But that's, our, our founders were smart enough to acknowledge it. And tyr tyrannical governments everywhere have been fearful of giving power to the people. And now tyrants in office think they have it, which they don't. They often need to be reminded of that. So anyway, um, we will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Stay tuned. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan 
Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. Toby Leary, your host. And I've been uh, monologuing a lot, so I'm sorry I'm not very good at reading the comments section today. But I will try to get back to it real quick. Um, Duncan says, my pistol has been on my desk all day and hasn't killed anyone yet. Jeez, look at that. And also, how about all the people that had a uh, demonstration in Bernalillo County that all came armed in de direct defiance to the governor? And uh, she had said in her press conference when asked, what should they do about people who carry a gun during this 30 day? And she said, arrest them, arrest them all. And here was a few hundred people that showed up and didn't try to hide it. It was a good ex it was a good display of public defiance. Um, nobody got shot, nobody got killed, no one was firing weapons, everyone was responsibly armed, and they proved the point that presence of guns does not commit crime. It's guns in the hands of wrong people that do uh, end up having negative outcomes with firearms but yeah um <laughs> there you go some other stuff that uh has been popping down the, the the lane here uh was that the ninth circuit rebuked lawmakers and grant injunction against california law targeting gun marketing so they said it was a violation of the first amendment right to tell gun manufacturers how they can and can't advertise. So that's huge. That's really, really good. Um, we're still waiting to hear from uh, court on Grisham's, uh, you know, uh, to see if there'll be a temporary restraining order granted um, against Grisham because probably are going to, he's probably going to lose, hopefully today, um, but you never know. Um, so, I thought it was interesting to see that the Ninth Circuit, which hasn't historically been too friendly to guns, um, I know whenever they get a three-judge panel, there's that sometimes to be favorable, but uh, when it usually goes to the en banc panel, then it gets overturned. That's the that's the seesaw effect happening in California right now. Like uh, Judge Robert T. Benitez puts out a pro to a ruling. It gets appealed up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals who uphold his decision. Then they go to the en banc panel. All the judges sit and hear it and then overturn Robert P. Benitez's ruling. And then it goes up to the Supreme Court. And since the Bruin precedent, that should be, we should be done with that. But that's typically the way it's going to go. And uh, But the Bruin mandate will certainly... Uh, put them on notice, and a bunch of cases that they get granted cert to, to along with Bruin 
were remanded back down to the Ninth Circuit, who remanded them back down to the district court where Robert Benitez had already ruled on, and we're still waiting in those outcomes. So um, I did not see the comment on the Rossi video. I will try to find that, but um, let's see. Floor uh, guy says another lawyer who needs to be disbarred, no doubt about it. Um, Uh, and Anne-Marie is echoing Duncan's call, uh, comment that hers haven't committed any crimes either, and she'd like to show them uh, the one in the case where the gun solely caused harm. Yeah. Where do these guns go, you know, without our knowledge to commit uh, crime? Because I'd love to know myself. Um, ASD says, what power we have, incredible, and insurrection. January 6th, not one gun involved. The next revolution should be interesting. Well, it's funny you, you say that about um, January 6th because I didn't get into it, but I, I kind of want to. Maybe we'll do it next week. Um, it's, we have that guy, the president of the Proud Boys or whatever the heck, uh, Terrio, um, that just got sentenced to 22 years in jail and he wasn't even there. Uh, crazy. I haven't, there was another guy who just got sentenced to eight years or nine years. Uh, and he never even entered the Capitol. It's insanity. What is going on? And the guy who ran over an 18 year old Republican on purpose because he was a Trump supporter and killed him, Got five years in jail. So you kill a Trump supporter on purpose, five years in jail. You don't go to the January 6th quote unquote insurrection and you get 22 years in jail. If you don't see there's a two tier justice system at work right now, then you got your head in the sand. Um, it does sound like they are going to give those people citations for that demonstration. Well, that'll be interesting because a citation's a whole lot different than being arrested. And she was calling for their arrest if people would show up in that city without uh, with a gun, they should be quote unquote arrested. Arrest them all. Um, I think HD forty four twenty wants to do away with evil semi autos, quote unquote. They got help from some gun clubs who don't allow legal trigger mods and tell members to do their evil rapid fire thing responsible. Yeah. Um, Jim Wallace did a very good video and I will try to get it for next week. But um, he basically said, this is one bill that you cannot sit idly by. I don't care if you're a skeet shooter, a trap shooter, a hunter, and you've never thought we should have pistols or semi-automatic rifles or whatever, quote-unquote assault weapons, because this bill affects everybody. It literally will affect everybody. One thing that was interesting is I, I released a video where I laid out all the guns on the floor in the shop that I would not no longer be able to sell. And one of the comments is, wait a minute, I just saw a turkey shotgun in that. And yes, you're right. So if you're just a turkey hunter and you um, 
want to exercise your right to keep and bear arms in a post-HD 4420 world. Well, guess what? If your semi-automatic turkey gun has a pistol grip, which a lot of them do, uh-uh, assault weapon, banned, crazy. So we can't have the us, uh, you know, the gun owners against gun owners approach to this bill. It has to be all or nothing. It has to be all in. And there's nothing redeeming about the bill. So we can't even sit down at the table and say, all right, we're willing to negotiate, which is ridiculous, but I understand how politics work. Um, we'll agree to uh, keeping this, you know, fill in the blank. As long as you do away with the stupid assault weapons ban or the magazine capacity ban or the um, approved weapons roster, anything like that. And uh, we can't even have that discussion. So, um, yeah, event this weekend. Love it. California uh, Street. Oh, yeah, I know. It does seem fitting, doesn't it, Duncan? Um Let's see, how are you? I actually, oh, that's a question for somebody else. Um, so the other thing that's interesting about um, HD 4420 is there's no gun uh, law enforcement exclusion. So that's probably why they lost the law enforcement community as well. I don't know if that's the, they're going to end up putting that back in, but we'll see how it goes. Uh Different type shooters, better band together, stop disliking a different style of shooting. Amen to that. Um, one of these days, I'm going to uh, do the gun owners against gun owners video. Um, I haven't been able to uh, figure that out yet, but um, one of these days, I will get it done. I promise. Um, I actually have a... Uh, a script written for it, but I haven't filmed it yet. So we're going to, we're going to get on that pretty soon. So let's see how it goes. All right, guys. Well, first hour is in the bag. I actually went a little bit long and, um, I have a great guest lined up for you. It's Holly Sullivan from, uh, Connecticut. And, uh, she's going to talk about what's going on in Connecticut. So uh, she needed a little extra time uh, getting her, her kids off the school bus and stuff. So she'll be joining us in a little bit. Um, so don't go away. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal Punch Hollow Points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of a 
effective penetration and expansion, you need Punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch defensive hollow-point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly 2A talk radio show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. This show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. And I'm really happy to have on the line with us for the second hour, Holly Sullivan. Uh, how are you, Holly? Great to see you again. Can you hear me okay? Doesn't look like she can hear me. Uh-oh. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, can you hear me? No? Okay. Let me see uh, if it's something on my end. Uh, no. All right. Bear with me one second, guys, while I try to get Holly on. Um, so I'm going to go right back to a quick ad. I'll be, I'll be right back um, after this. And I apologize. Uh, just a cool gun video to watch. How's that? Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. All right, guys. Well, we're going to have Holly disconnect and reconnect. I'm not sure why you can't hear her, but, or I can't, you can't hear me. Um, but yeah, that hopefully will, will uh, work the bugs out. It's always something. Um, I see my, my settings are correct. Uh, I can hear everything on my end. But anyway. Uh, yeah, today we're doing three to five, uh, because I have some place to be and, uh, I apologize for that, but let's see. All right. Can you hear me now? I can. All right. And I can hear you. That's amazing. Fantastic. So, uh, <laughs> welcome Holly, uh, rapid fire. It's good to see you again. And, uh, you gave a great impassioned speech at the 2A rally in Quincy at the Marriott. Um, and I appreciate you making the trip up for that. 
And uh, why don't you give everybody, uh, all the listeners here, uh, an idea of what it is you do and what it is you do in the state of Connecticut and, uh, you know, how what you do for advocacy in your state. And uh, once again, thanks again for coming on. So, um, but I want to give you plenty of time to tell everyone what it is you're up to and what you do in Connecticut. Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm the president of the Connecticut Citizens Defense League. Um, a lot of states do have similar organizations. Um, some are on the CDL platform um, up in Massachusetts. You guys have gold. They're doing a fantastic job um, here in Connecticut. Um, we have unfortunately learned that gun control can take uh, to really take hold very quickly, changes the landscape absolutely tremendously overnight with a, with a single incident for us. That was the Sandy Hook shooting, um, really transformed our gun laws here in the state of Connecticut. And thank goodness CCDL was already in existence and they were um, poised in position to act. But, you know, realistically, it's up to the folks to really engage with the legislature. Um, we're a legislative action group, so that's what we do. Um, we are, we're not a militia or, you know, a lot of things that we aren't, but what we are is a legislative action group and our, our job is to engage in the legislative um, process um, and also we engage in, in litigation um, when that comes up. So um, a lot of two-way groups around the country that do similar things, but we are specific to the state of Connecticut um, and really the only group that's doing kind of what we do in the state of Connecticut, um, much like Goal is doing up in Massachusetts, really kind of the preemptive group that, that's leading the fight there. Um, so thank goodness for, you know, groups like this that do what we can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, number one, you are the president of this group, right? If I'm not Correct. mistaken. Yes. So, so did you, did I hear you say you're the only female president of any state rights group in the country? So of the, of any CDL, so of the, of the CDL model. Um, so I think, uh, my understanding is that there is a female in believe in one of the New Jersey groups. Um, New Jersey has quite a few organizations. Um, and I believe in somewhere in one of the constitutional carry states. So it is a little bit different in uh, states where they're pretty pro-gun uh, versus in a state like Connecticut where we fight tooth and nail. Um, you know, it, it, it's like a it's like a football field. You know, every inch is, is back and forth up and down the field. Right. And and that's mm. how it is here in the state of Connecticut, just like it is in Massachusetts. Um, so it's definitely a, a, a tough terrain um, here. So, uh, yeah, it's it's unique. There's very, very few women around the country that are doing anything like this. Right. Well, I think it's awesome that um, you're in, in this position to and I know you're doing a phenomenal job. You're very well respected in this in this space, and uh, you're doing a great organizational job. And uh, I think women bring a different energy level to this than men do, frankly, and do a better job in so many ways. Uh, so my hat's off to you for that. Um, just recently, Connecticut had a well, an interesting situation come up. Um, I would say it's interesting in a few different ways, which the net result of is horrible for Connecticut gun owners. Um, and I'll let you speak on this, but basically um, one thing I learned as a, as a gun store in a state that has hostile laws towards gun ownership. But when I first became an FFL, I remember there was uh, a couple of situations Maybe it was like employees I wanted to hire that I wanted to do a background check on. So I'm like, oh, I'll just do a NICS check on them. And my ATF agent said, no, you can't do that unless you're doing a 4473 and you tie it to a firearm. So 
Connecticut has an interesting situation where they have their own state background check and they were using NICS to do that, right? Yeah. Uh, for, for so long. So tell us what happened as a result of all that. Yeah, and this is definitely going to be impactful, um, not just here in Connecticut, but I'm starting to hear from other states around the country as this has kind of played out in the last like 55 hours or so. So this happened, uh, let's say today is Tuesday, so this happened around 11.45 a.m. on Monday of this week, um, where FFLs in the state of Connecticut simply got an email from state police that said that uh, going forward, effective immediately, there are no more private transfers in the state of Connecticut. So the way that it works in Connecticut now is we're kind of a point of contact system, so the state of Connecticut, um, in all of their brilliance, thinks that they can do it better than NICS. Um, so um, there's a couple of states that do do that, where essentially the state issues an authorization number. Um, they do a NICS check, and then they also do their own state check that encompasses other factors as well. And based on that information, NICS being part of that check, they issue an authorization number for every single transaction that happens in this state. And typically, what's always happened with private transfers, um, let's say, for like example, like when my father passed away, um, and I, you know, my sister and I took his firearms under, you know, to ourselves, you just call into state police, you read off the serial numbers, they issue that authorization number based on running that check um, in, in the state police. Um, so they were using the next system to do that um, in conjunction with their own portion. Um, so effective on Monday of this week, uh, the FFLs were advised that going forward, the if there was going to be a private transfer, a gun owner needed to bring the firearm to the FFL. The FFL needed to log it into their books and then log it back out to the new owner. So it had to go through an FFL. All transactions going forward uh, have to because um, according to uh, the Special Licensing and Firearms Unit here in Connecticut, they are stating that the ATF told them that they can no longer use the NIC system um, to facilitate those private transfers. Hmm. So... This now makes it illegal to do any type of private transfer in the state without a law being passed, correct? Is is that right? Or are they leaning on existing law? Yeah. Um, right. So they're leaning on existing law, saying that this is the only way to make it compliant with both state law as written and now what the feds have kind of enforced. Um, the challenge with that is there's also a lot of situations where it's not always so cut and dry, right? Um, maybe uh, to, like, like, let's say, for example, um, let's say my sister and I, we split my dad's firearm collection when he passed, right? And maybe I want to call my sister and say, hey, you know that 1911 that you took? I really want to swap it for this one. We can't trade anymore. We can't just call SLFU and trade we have to go to a gun store and now there has to be a transaction. Like we can't just like, what if we're, what if people are bartering? Like there's, there are situations outside of the box that don't just fit going to a gun store and making a purchase. And that's unfortunately what happens when you have a state where the folks that are in charge are out of touch with gun owners and they're out of touch with the reality of what the gun community deals with all the time. Um, and, and that's where we run into issues like this is because quite frankly, in states like this, we don't have a seat at the table um, to be involved in discussions about what the impact is on good people. But yet really, you know, lots of stuff happens with criminals and whatever, and we can get into that. Um, but when it comes to the impact on, on good law abiding people that are just trying to do the right thing, um, you know, it can be really challenging. Yeah, you bring up a good point, and that is, uh, you know, 
all this, these laws, all they ever really do is encumber people who they don't need to worry about in the first place. Um, you know, there's very few criminals out there that are like, oh, I can't do a private transfer of a firearm now. So I guess I'm just going to have to use a baseball bat and I'm not going to be able to acquire that. They're buying them on the black market. They're buying them. They're stealing them or whatever. They're already committing so many other felonies in the commission of whatever crime it is they're about to commit. So all it does is it it encumbers people they don't need to worry about. But that's really the the intent of gun control. Sure. If you, if you think about it, right? It's it, it's always to just look at we just had a whole hour talking about the New Mexico governor and uh how she's admitted actually that this will do nothing to deter criminals but she wants to make it so that good people can't carry a gun for 30 days because she thinks that's going to somehow reduce criminal i mean it doesn't make any sense all it's doing is ticking off people who you don't need to tick off and making life miserable for your constituents but uh connecticut is no stranger to ridiculous gun laws right i mean they've uh they had a bevy of laws that were passed after sandy hook correct yeah absolutely so that was what we call public act 13-3 or senate bill 1160 that was kind of our big um really earth-shattering gun control bill that came uh right on the heels of the sandy hook shooting mm. and since that there's also been some other uh well let's back up with that one that passed then what was the big what was the meat and potatoes of that law that that happened after Sammy, Sandy Hook? By and large, the majority of that, um, that was supposed to be what was called like a three a three legged stool, right? There was gun control, there was uh, funding for mental health, and um, then there was going to be school security. Um, I can tell you that not every school in the state of Connecticut now what 11, 12 years later has met the standards um, for the school safety plan still right? Over a decade later, still not done. Um, I have, I, I have no doubt that funding is not done. Last time I checked, the funding was not done. Um, but the one part that was done was the gun control piece. Um, and that was by and large an assault weapon ban and a um, restriction on large capacity magazines. And that also had a registration component to it, did it not? It did. So you had to register anything that qualified as an assault weapon per the state at that time. And then you had to declare all magazines that you were in possession of that had a capacity of higher than 10, mag 10 rounds. And once you possess that magazine, there's no way to get rid of it, right? Like you either had to destroy it or surrender it or get it out of state. state. Yeah, get rid of it out of state, whatever it was. Um, so one of the things that did transpire in the most recent um, slew of gun control, um, and we did have probably our most challenging session this past legislative session, Governor Lamont passed a, another sweeping uh, gun control bill that, again, will do nothing to curb actual violence that is very much rampant here in Connecticut, um, is that there is a component of it that was worked in that if you did not declare your magazines um, back in 2014, there is an opportunity to do so uh, now. Um, but that being said, you'd have to sign an affidavit that you owned them prior to them. Um, there's still not a process that's been laid out by the state. There's a lot of ambiguity about how that's actually going to happen. So while the legislature passed it, um, how the state police actually plan to uh, offer that to residents. We don't actually have the details of that yet. 
Yeah, that, that's often so much the result of gun control also is that the enforcement of, component of it is seemingly impossible. Like yep. at, some, at some point, you're tasking law enforcement with doing something, A, that's unconstitutional, B, that is impossible to enforce because they don't know when this thing was made, when you owned it. You, oh, you signed a piece of paper. Okay, whoop-de-doo. It's, it's ridiculous. It's posturing and it's um, a projection on, onto gun owners that they're a ticking time bomb, that if they don't register or they don't or they own a certain type of weapon, it's just a matter of time before they go psycho and commit a evil act with their firearm, which is ridiculous. Like right. guns have been owned in this country since its foundation. Right. And most people are peaceful citizens and uh, aren't ticking time bombs, but that's the way anti-gun legislatures and you know governments treat us. Um, so after that passed, after Sandy Hook, haven't has there been some, any other additional uh, legislation that's passed in Connecticut before this latest. Uh, yeah. Thing. So um, by and large, the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that we've seen recurring that's actually been successful has been red flag laws. So Connecticut was the very first state to have any degree of red flag laws. We've actually had them since the 1990s. We were the, the kind of the birthplace of red flag laws here in Connecticut. Um, but back then it was called um, like a risk warrant. So the risk warrant um, when enacted in the 1990s incorporated a component of due process where you did have the opportunity to stand before a judge and actually be adjudicated prior to your firearms being seized. Um, however, over the last decade um, since then, that due process has largely gone out the window. Um, now it's an accusation. Um, the judge, there's ex parte restraint orders with an automatic seizure. Um, the judge, uh, really, we don't see a lot of instances where the judge doesn't tell the officer to just take the firearms and we'll sort it out later. Um, so while they say there's due process, the reality is we know that there isn't in practice um, because folks don't even necessarily find out that they had this against them until the cops are at the door and say that we already have an order saying to take them. And it's the first notice that somebody even has. So how do you even plead your case um, right. when, you know, it's they're, they're on your doorstep? Um, so that's the majority of it. There's definitely been efforts along the way, um, primarily ammo tax. Um, it's something that we've seen come up every single session. They want to tax us on every single round of ammunition that we buy. They want to essentially, um, you know, price people out of the ability to shoot. And the harsh reality is you get back to the roots of what this is. Who are you actually going to be uh, pricing out the lowest socioeconomic groups of people? Um, so the folks that live in, you know, wealthy Fairfield County, Connecticut, that live in gated communities, um, they're going to be shooting just as much as they ever were because they can afford to do so. But your folks that are in the inner cities, single parents, things, people who are struggling, they're not going to be able to get range time. They're not going to be able to practice. Um, so all you're really doing is hurting um, your most vulnerable people who probably live in higher crime communities as it is. Um, and we know that that's the case. So it's, you know, quite frankly, the majority party kind of eating its own right there. And it's, it's, it's a shame to see that that, that really does happen, but that's what it is. We have been successful in holding back the ammo tax every year. I expect we'll see it again this coming session. Um, so folks should be ready for that. Um, they just did it in California um, and they've been uh, itching for it for a very long time here as well. Um, yeah, so it's it's endless. And I think that's a really important point for viewers that are in other parts of the country. You need to look at states like Massachusetts and Connecticut, New York, California, New Jersey. Um, 
it doesn't stop with us. Like we're holding the line as hard as we can to like try to, you know, hold the cancer back. But folks are moving out of our areas to go to their nicer areas where the taxes are lower and, you know, it smells better and things are better taken care of. Why? Because they ruined it here. Um, and they're coming to your community and they're going to state, they're going to vote for the exact same policies that they voted for here. Um, you know, so you have to be prepared to fight wherever you live, what we've been fighting here for the last decade or so, because it absolutely spreads as these people migrate. Yeah. I mean, look at Massachusetts. There was once a revolutionary war fought here with a shot heard around the world. It was the birthplace of freedom. Yeah. And now it's like you said, cancerous, uh, uh, with government trying to restrict you at every turn. And I think what you just said is, has been my mantra for the past few years, because so many people come to me on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and say, how can you operate in the state of Massachusetts? Like, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just up and go? The When's the final straw? When's the you know straw that breaks the camel's back? And you know, that isn't a good option, in my opinion, because when we moved to the free state and we didn't toe the line and we didn't put up the resistance that we needed to in the state we just left, then the only people left there are the people that are not going to fight and or the people that are going to fight, but they're too few uh, to, to make a difference, which is pretty much where we find ourselves in Massachusetts. But make no mistake about it. Like the rest of the country watches tyrants in the rest of the country, watch states like Connecticut and Massachusetts and New Jersey and New York and California, Maryland and Oregon. And look at Oregon and Washington state. Those two were very pro 2A states for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now the dominoes are starting to fall in states that people wouldn't. I mean, look at New Mexico. I never thought of New Mexico. I know it's a purpley blue state, but it's never been a anti-gun state in my you know thought process anyway and now they're you know pushing back against this governor uh this governor's edict executive order yeah. and so the fight is everywhere the fight is in whatever state you live in there's people that want to strip you of your rights and so how do what's your message to people by the way we're talking with holly sullivan of the uh of the uh what's the name of the organization again yeah CC... the ccdl the connecticut citizens defense league okay thank you and i'll ask you that a couple more times i have the website open by the way but okay. um uh the what is the message you tell the people of connecticut that join the citizens defense league uh connecticut citizens defense league what, do you, what are you telling them on a day-to-day -day? how how do they get involved how do they fight how do they uh make a difference in their community um, yes, joining the organization is the, the kind of the bare minimum, but is there something you can do on top of that to make a difference? Yeah, so definitely. We always say this: people have really, there's really three things that every single person can give. They can give time, talent, or treasure, right? Like if you are swamped and you are busy, but you've got funds, then, you know, gladly donate. And if that's not what you can do, but you have time, we will gladly take your time. Um, and if you have a skill and that's what you can contribute, like we will, you know, 
every organization out there can use something from from everybody that participates. Um, in Connecticut, we have what's called our outreach program. Um, so we're really grateful that that this really has become very successful. Our outreach program divides the state up into five regions. Um, each region has a regional manager, and that regional manager oversees their town captain. So every single um, town, and we have 169 towns in Connecticut, each one has a town captain. That town captain is watching planning and zoning, zoning ordinances. They're watching, you know, school boards. They're part, they're letting us know if something comes up. We actually just had a CCDL meeting last night. We have had quite a lot of planning and zoning um, ordinances be proposed around the state of Connecticut, um, particularly around like noise ordinances or making uh, private property, uh, no shooting um, or putting uh, prohibitions on, on shooting on private property. Um, we have not lost one yet. Um, when we get where one of these ordinances are coming, um, our members are there. We do targeted emails based on the zip codes that are related to wherever that zoning ordinance is and we mobilize people right away. So getting involved, like. I mean, this is like, does not take a lot of time. Like being involved at a town or local level, all you have to do is like sign up for your municipal email alerts, check the agenda. Is there something coming my way that's anti-gun? And then let your state 2A organization know so they can like get involved and make sure that you are, you know, you're represented. Um, so there's things like that that can be done. And, and I'm really excited to talk to other groups about what other states are doing, how they're succeeding, and how we can be better sharing ideas. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that uh, very soon, um, just nationally, as, as I think 2A groups um, are going to be starting to exchange ideas a lot more about like how we can learn from one another and our successes. Well, you're speaking, uh, speaking my language right now, trying to get people all on the same page and speak together as a unified voice, because really that's where the battle is won. Uh, we've been so fractured and divided over the past couple decades, and I'd love to see our community come together uh, and speak as one strong voice. But we're talking with Holly Sullivan. We're going to take a quick break, um, and we will be right back to the to uh, continue this fascinating discussion. And uh, so don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. We'll be right back. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal Punch Hollow Points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need Punch Defensive Ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch Defensive Hollow Point Ammunition here at Cape Gun. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. 
All right, welcome back to Rapid Fire. We're here with Holly Sullivan from Connecticut Citizens Defense League. Um, and we're having a fascinating conversation about living in a hostile state <laughs> to gun ownership and what can be done about it. Um, I feel like uh, this is a conversation that could go on for a long time because, you know, we were just making the point that uh, you might live in a state that's uh, hostile and you can move out to a state that's seemingly um, free or freer uh, to gun ownership. And next thing you know, you're facing some of the same stuff you just left. And ironically, I was mentioning in my speech at the event in Quincy that you attended about people, how they urge me all the time. And Jared from Guns and Gadgets took a... <laughs> he goes, the people all talking about people who leave the state, they're all pointing at me. And uh, it, it was pretty funny. I, I wasn't purposefully jabbing him, but uh, that, you know, he took, if the shoe fits, Jared, wear it. But, uh, um, but what happened right when he got to Tennessee? Guess what? They were facing legal challenges against constitutional right to keep and bear arms. So um, the thing that I feel a lot of people don't understand in the government world is that um, we have played the game peacefully and compliantly for a long time and suffered under the, the scheme that they come up with, whatever it has been, in this interest balancing approach to um, gun control and gun control enforcement in states like Connecticut and Massachusetts and the others I've mentioned, there is going to come a time when, and I would say the New Mexico governor is pushing very close to going way too far. And House bill or House docket uh, 4420 is another one that pushes up against the people's patience and willingness to comply with unconstitutional orders because the alternative is you become a felon and you lose your right to keep and bear arms and and whatnot but there's going to come a point where they enact a law that people are going to say well screw it i don't have anything else to worry about so we're we're not going to comply anymore and uh, I hope we never get there where people actually take up arms, but that's the whole point of the Second Amendment. And these tyrants don't realize it, that they're doing the very thing that caused the American Revolution. You know, you look at King George III uh, sent his, his army to go get the shot, the powder, the muskets, and the balls from, uh, you know, all the lead from the, the colonists and who were peacefully... Uh, you know, in protest to their tyrannical government. So they said, well, we know where this could lead. So go get the guns. Mm -hmm. And that's next thing you know, we got the greatest country in the history of mankind. Um, and I think, I think to your point, particularly about New Mexico, I think you cannot understate how, or I'm sorry, you can't overstate how important the elections are, even at your lower level elections. So if you look at the sheriffs in particular that are saying we are not going to enforce this um, and the Albuquerque police are saying that they're not going to enforce it. I mean, you're talking about just the New Mexico state police that are going to be under orders to potentially enforce this. Um, how are your sheriffs in Massachusetts? Well, our sheriffs 
department in Massachusetts actually don't have real police powers. Right. Um, they're, they're, they're just in, they're the administrators of the jails and the, uh, they do accident reconstruction. They do detailed, um, you know, homicide investigations and, uh, you know, they'll do that type of forensic work, but they don't go out and patrol and arrest. And, and so, uh, they, they can't even make a traffic stop. And ironically, uh, there's even debate within the law enforcement community. If they comply with the law enforcement carve out in order to possess high capacity magazines, assault weapons, and, uh, buy guns that are not compliant with the attorney general's regulations, but compliant with our approved weapons roster, if that makes any sense. It's the most ridiculous, confusing thing, but there's different types of sheriffs and some have like a silver badge, some have a gold badge. And they say the silver badge aren't cops. The gold badge are cops and have all the, you know, carve outs. And, and I'm like way too complicated for me to dis to discern if they claim to be a cop and have powers of arrest, I'll sell them a gun, you know, based on whatever gun they want, you know, that they are legally allowed to buy. But I love that the, the law enforcement community has this debate over, you're not a real cop. And like, it's, it's just ironic. And it's, it proves how gun control is so confusing and it is only designed to trip up the people who actually follow the law. But anyway, um, so that's the long answer to your question about right. the, the sheriff's department. Yeah, we don't have any elected law enforcement here in Connecticut. Um, it's a, us in Alaska, but Alaska is a constitutional uh, carry state. There's pro, there's Second Amendment sanctuary state. So you know, I very much like feel your pain there because uh, thank God for the people of New Mexico or their sheriffs are saying, uh, yeah, we're not going to help out in this because they are actually folks who who could be tasked with doing it and won't. So um, when you're state second amendment group wherever it is that, that you live talks about getting involved in elections please don't ignore it like yeah. look at tennessee right if they didn't have pro 2a folks in those seats that were willing to like push back on it be a lost cause tennessee would have gone very quickly i mean and there's there's it's still very much they could um, implement a lot of gun control there but there's a lot more resistance than there was here in connecticut so when sandy hook happened it was instant for us. Why? Because we're a extremely blue state. It happened overnight for us. So in Tennessee, they had a similar school shooting and, but they had different folks in their seats that were more conscientious of the people's rights and have held back a little bit on making such a knee-jerk decision. So at every level, whether it's uh, a sheriff election, a municipal election, a, a house rep, whatever it is, get involved like in anything you can do get pro two way people in those seats yeah i agree and my elected state representative here in massachusetts is a former law enforcement deputy chief of yarmouth police department who actually gave the order to um patrolman sean gannon who went on a call in uh, another town to um arrest a um uh very, very bad actor who was, um, had violated his, I think his, uh, terms of parole or his release, um, and had already done jail time and, and there was a warrant out for him. So he went and he ended up getting killed in the line of duty by this guy who had over 30 prior gun charges. 
uh, and actually he had been arrested over a hundred and I think it was 110 times. And this guy should have never seen the light of day. Under current Massachusetts law, felon in possession of a gun carries a minimum mandatory of one year in jail. And each of those charges could have carried a, or should have carried that mandatory minimum. So he should have been doing 30 years in jail. Instead, he got out in three years and uh, acquired a new collection of firearms and and uh, went out and, um, you know, murdered a, a police officer who was trying to arrest him and shot the, the dog as well. Uh, so the bottom line is a lot of these people that commit this crime are never going to be, they don't care what law they pass. It's not going to matter. And unfortunately for us, as peaceful citizens who follow the law, they they also... Um, they also don't affect the criminal the same way they do the law-abiding person. Uh, you know, they throw the book at the guy who's trying to do all the right, do everything by the by the rules. And if he slips up on one of the myriad of confusing gun laws that are on the books, they throw the throw the book at him. Right. It's it's unbelievable. So yeah, you gotta. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, go for it. Go ahead. What I was going to say, and the, the the crappy reality of that situation is, let's say you have a really bad guy, right? And he gets arrested and there's like six charges, right? Like there's like assault and there's like violation of parole. There's all these different things that they did. But then there's like possession of a high capacity magazine. Well, they drop that one because it's like the least of all of the charges. Mm -hmm. But you or I, we get caught with like one and it's our only charge. Guess what? It's sticking. Like, so it's like the data is even skewed once they do present it because you have like these really bad dudes that should have been charged with these various things, but because they had so much other like way worse stuff and they negotiated it in a plea deal to drop the lowest charges, which was most likely a magazine possession, something like that. But like the average good person who makes a mistake and grabs the wrong magazine or they like didn't declare the right number of them or they made a simple mistake at the range. Well, that's the only charge that they got. So that's the one that sticks. And guess what? Like now they lose their Second Amendment rights because of it. But the same guy who committed, you know, the same offense, but also like five more he didn't get charged for it at all. You know, mm. it's, it's insane. Yeah. When I was on the gun owners action league podcast, I actually, we were joking about that. It's not really funny, but it's, um, it is the reality of the situation that, you know, maybe we should all start carrying a little bit of fentanyl in our pocket so that if we ever slip up on a gun charge and we get arrested for that, all of a sudden we can plea it out because we had fentanyl on us or something like that. But uh, that's the way it works. You're a hundred percent correct. Uh, that is how it works in in reality. And the the people that should not be walking the streets are. Yep. And then when a good person gets jammed up with some post-ban magazine or something, or their their AR-15 has a bayonet lug on it or something like that, uh, that makes it an assault weapon, um, they get the book thrown at them and and there's no um you know, they don't look at it and say, well, this guy doesn't even have a parking ticket. Let's uh, throw these charges out. And sorry for the inconvenience. You have something called a Second Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees your right to keep and bear arms. And uh, by the way, um, government doesn't have the authority to restrict that because of those words shall not be infringed. But yet we, we infringe upon the rights of peaceful citizens and charge them with victimless crimes all the time throughout the country. 
Yeah, and, 100%. And it's the yeah. judges, quite frankly, and those judges, they're appointed. And who are they appointed by? They're appointed by generally the majority party. Whoever has control at that time appoints the judges. The judges stay in for a very long time. It is very much political. Um, so folks who think that like judges are just simply like completely neutral folks, like I hate to burst their bubble, but that's just not the reality of it. Um, a lot of the time they are political appointments. Um, and, you know, they tend to go um, the way of the policies of of the, the folks that appointed them. Um, so if you have folks that are uh, very weak on crime, um, then the judges as well may be very weak on crime. Right. So sorry to like have a massive change of direction here, but um, <laughs> getting back to the state organization that you represent, uh, the Connecticut Citizens Defense League, how many members does the organization have? Sure, we're at 43,000 right now. So it, wow. it, it's, it grows astronomically. It is free to be a member. You do not have to live in the state of Connecticut and there are no mandatory dues to be a member. So anybody can go and sign up um, and you'll start getting our emails and hear what's going on in the state of Connecticut. Um, mm -hmm. So you just join at ccdl.us uh, forward slash join. Um, and then you also have the option to be a tiered member um, where you can, you know, it's as low as $25 a year um, and, or you can become a lifetime member or anything in between. Um, and then there's different benefits uh, depending on what you choose. Nice. I'm going to join as we speak. Um, yeah, I just joined. Uh, but it was that easy, folks. I did it while I'm on the air. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, that's huge. That 43,000 members is huge. How Do you know how many gun owners there are in the state of uh, Connecticut? It, well, we're, let's say, so we're half of your population in mass. Um, I, you know, I don't know off the top of my head. We have to, I have to look at the more, most recent FOIA numbers, but I, I can find out and get back to you. But we're, mm -hmm. we're half of your population um, in Connecticut. But yeah, I haven't looked at it in a couple of years. Um, or at well, least just that alone, if you have three to three and a half million people, I think we're six to right. six and a half million people. So if you're three to three and a half million people, and you have more than double the members in your state organization, you're doing better than we are uh, as far as getting people signed up. Like the fact that everybody in Massachusetts is not a goal member is baffling to me. It's yeah. mind boggling. Uh, they're the only second amendment group dedicated to preserving your rights that have a lobbyist on Capitol Hill or Beacon Hill, I should say that are there every day watching and, you know, trying to preserve our right to keep and bear arms and make sure it's not a criminal offense to exercise your right. And the fact that there's 580,000 gun owners out there that are not members it's, is sad. I'm Googling it right now. Bear with me. I know there, mm. I've got like the old, like, like old data, but whatever, I'll, I'll get that for you. But yeah. it is frustrating. And especially like anybody can sign up to be on goals, newsletter, um, things like that. Like, you know, get involved in some capacity because here's the worst. And like, you know, and I never want to be like crabby and I'm like not trying to be bitter or anything, but like you hear all the time, like they do nothing for us. And I'm like, I've never met you. Like, I don't like within, then like, what can you possibly be complaining about on social media? It Like, I've never met you where I haven't seen you in three years. Like, what are you doing? Because I can tell you like, so I'm a volunteer, like here in CCDL, we're all volunteers. This is like 
30 hours a week of my time as like a volunteer. It's insane. So, you know, the amount of time that we put into it, it's bananas. And then folks like go like, well, they're not really doing anything for us. Or it's not worth it. It's not worth it. If like, these are the same folks that have like from my cold dead hands tattooed on their body, but then they say mm. it's not worth it. And you go like, what? <laughs> like, right. are you serious? Like, it's not worth your time to send the email, show up and give testimony. Like you're waiting for somebody to pull it from your dead hands. Like that is like your threshold of reasonable, but it's not worth your time to show up on Beacon Hill and, and testify. Like what, like, what is the rationale there? I don't understand it. It is insanity. Um, and you know what that's, you know what that really is, is their way of easing their own conscience of why they don't join a group like this or give money. They find one thing that they don't agree with a hundred percent and say, Oh, I'd never join that group. They're anti-gunners or they sit down at the table with anti-gun legislators. And, and it's like, no, that is not what they're, they're trying to make things better in the grand scheme of things and keep things from getting worse. And that's what they do on a daily basis. And you're sitting here complaining about the thing that slips through the cracks or they don't do anything for us. Or they've never, you know, it's unbelievable. But um, I think that, uh, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for in this country. And uh, I think that good groups like, CCDL and Gun Owners Action League and COM2A and uh, all the ma major national groups that help uh, challenge laws and and uh, unconstitutional laws and et cetera, et cetera, um, are, you know, really are what are making the difference in this day and age. And hopefully we'll see things trending in the right direction. So uh, do you guys have anything coming up that um, you want to get out there and uh, in the way of events or, um, you know, things going on in, in the state of Cal uh, Connecticut right now? Yeah, totally. So September 30th, um, we are actually having a rally on the north steps of our Capitol building in Hartford. Um, so it's September 30th at 11 a.m. And really just hearing some from some pro 2A speakers, legislators will be there. Um, just, you know, a good opportunity to get out and be just a part of um, the vibrancy of the peaceful, law-abiding Second Amendment community. Um, it is the last day that open carry will be permitted in the state of Connecticut. The next day on October 1st, um, open carry becomes prohibited in our state. Wow. we've never had before most people don't choose to open carry but many do and and that's a shame that that's going away but it will tell you it is temporary uh in my my opinion because we will win it back in court um mm. then you know try to always be the optimist on that because you know it's 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 something that we have always done as an organization um we have always uh since the inception of our organization held rallies like this on the steps of the capitol and um folks have open carried from the very beginning um so i'm really optimistic that that will come back at some point in time um whether you know through whatever means it, it takes to get it back so this is a uh in my mind a temporary halt um well until we fix our legislature and we fix the makeup of our executive branch uh up in hartford um but we need our people to get involved in order to do that so so webs just put in um a thing here that says 18.8 percent of residents in uh Connecticut are gun owners, according to some anti-gun website, uh, which would put it at about 540,000 gun owners in the state of Connecticut, which is a great rate, by the way, <laughs> compared to Massachusetts, which is less than 10%. Yeah. 
of the uh, owners, you know, our gun owners, uh, residents of Massachusetts. Um, with that being said, um, uh, although he got a different number, he said 18.8% of 3.6 million is 316,000 gun owners. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, um, the, he goes, okay, I'm bad at math. Uh, so uh, the the bottom line is, um, you know, here we have less than 10%. In Connecticut, do you need a permit to purchase a gun or a license in order to even buy and own a gun? Or do you only need one just to carry a gun? Technically, you can possess in your home without a carry permit. The vast majority of people don't do it that way. Um, almost everybody is going to go through a carry permit or an eligibility certificate, um, which is, um, it's a long process. So um, I'm sure it's not too different in Massachusetts, but here in Connecticut, it, it costs a few hundred dollars. Um, we have uh, your, I know this is part of your component of 4420. We have had a live fire component of our training for many, many years. Um, so our folks, you have to go and take a, uh, a class that incorporates live fire in that class. Once you have that certificate, you actually, th this is so insane. You have to go to Connecticut State Police, ask for permission to go to your local police to get your fingerprints done. Then state police gives you the approval to get an appointment with the local police with an authorization number. Then you get that appointment with your local police department. You go and get your fingerprints done. You can turn your application in, give them a few hundred bucks, and then you wait up to eight weeks. Some places do it. Some places don't. We currently have a lawsuit pending. It's CCDL versus SOTI. It's against three of our major cities that don't do it in the eight weeks that they are permitted to do it by state statute. Um, once you get that, you are issued uh, what is called a temporary permit. And guess what you can do with it? Absolutely nothing. You can't buy a gun and you can't buy ammunition. It's a piece of paper that says, now take this and go to state police. And then you go and you drive to Middletown, Connecticut, and you go and wait in line there. And then they take your picture and you pay them more money. And then they finally give you your card. And so you're hundreds of dollars into this process. And a lot of people lose interest along the way because it's expensive. It's confusing. Um, and like there's a lot of red tape involved. Um, so, yeah, it's not easy. Um, but, you know, we try to help people through that process, you know, here at CCDL and kind of help them hammer out issues and, you know, keep them moving. Yeah, I uh we teach a lot of USCCA classes and we teach the Florida non-resident one, which you really don't even need to do anymore. And one of the other uh, modules we teach is this Connecticut non-resident one. So we've been well-versed in that. Although I'm always like, when I'm teaching those slides, I'm like, ah, yeah, here it is. Take some information down and then just reach out to them because <laughs> I have no clue uh, really in uh, practicality how that all plays out for people who want to become a non-resident concealed weapon, you know, concealed carrier in the state of Connecticut. So I'll, I'll point them towards you guys from now on yeah. towards CCDL. I'll say first you got to join, then they'll right. help you. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it should be contingent upon. Um, but anyway, the, um, it, that's one thing government does really well is breaks it, uh, in order to fix it. Right. They're, uh, yeah. They're, they're always, um, you know, trying to make things better, right? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's right there. Ronald Reagan said it best. Um, but anyway, uh, Holly, how can people find what you do? You know, if you have any social media 
uh, you want to throw out there or, you know, the organization, uh, give, give us all the, how to find what you do and your work and, and also, uh, how they can join CCDL. Yeah, absolutely. So um, CCDL is really easy. It's just ccdl.us um, and you'll find all of our information there. There's a contact form. Oh no, we lost Holly. Um, hopefully she can rejoin. Uh, but let me just say this while we wait to see if she rejoins. Um, the what happened in Connecticut could happen anywhere in America as far as the um, banning universal, uh, this universal background check thing, banning private sale of of uh, firearms. It, it could easily, I bet her cell phone died. Oh, maybe here she comes back. Um, so. so crazy. So sorry that happened. Technology. That's okay. 2023. Okay, yeah. So ccdl.us is the website for the Connecticut Citizens Defense League. And then the other major thing that I do that we didn't really talk about is that I'm on the advisory board for the DC Project. If you don't know the DC Project, it's Women for Gun Rights. Um, awesome group of really strong women in every state in this country. Um, actually, the women of the DC Project are heading to Washington, DC in just a couple of weeks in October to talk to our federal legislators and do some really heavy hitting uh, down there and uh, nice. getting the word out. So great group. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Both groups I love and uh, we're huge fans of the DC project. And uh, that's one thing I would not want in my office is a, a group of angry women trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to make my life miserable because I would concede immediately to whatever <laughs> their dem <laughs> demands are. But no, you, your heart's in the right place. And I really appreciate what you do. And uh, for your state and for the country and uh, for women everywhere, Holly, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. We'll have to do this again sometime. Definitely. And, uh, if you're willing. All right, great. Thanks, thanks so, so much. Take care. All right, take care. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Um, that's uh, Holly Sullivan from CCDL. And that's the second hour in the bag of rapid fire so i appreciate everybody being here um you know join us every week to stay up to date on what's going on and uh talk guns what else would you rather be doing right talking guns and uh i appreciate you guys so much more than ever like subscribe share and comment and we'll grow this thing because we need to get the word out so god bless remember be a good responsible gun owner in your community and a second amendment advocate no matter where you live and we will see things change for the better i promise god bless and we'll see you next week thanks so much